Utah's highest rated, most listened to sports radio afternoon show. I grind every day just so I can live a better life. This is The Big Show, presented by Big O Tires. Stop by your locally owned Big O Tires for no credit needed financing. Big O Tires, the team you trust. This is 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. This is The Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott, presented by Big O Tires. Stop by your locally owned Big O Tires for no credit needed financing and the best prices on tires. Big O Tires, the team you trust. This is 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Big Show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We are on the eve of the second round for the Utah Jazz. So let's uh, get right down to it. It's time to talk to Chris. Go ahead, Austin. It's time for your NBA fix. This is the Big Show Daily Assist. Featuring all the latest news and insight on the association. Now joining the Big Show. Senior NBA writer for Sports Illustrated, Chris Mannix. On 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Chris, happy Monday. How are you? What's going on, guys? Hey, just excited for what should be a a great playoff matchup between the Jazz and the Clippers. Uh, Give us kind of your initial thoughts when you found out uh, what the matchup was going to be. You know, certainly I think a tougher one for the Clippers than Dallas would be. Um, The Mavericks are really good as we saw in that first round series, but you know, that, that zone, that soft zone they like to play. I think the, the jazz would have eaten that alive. And, you know, when you are a team predicated on really just one player, you become a lot more defendable, especially to a really good defensive team like Utah. Uh, the Clippers are not without their flaws, but Kawhi and Paul George are two great players. I thought Ty Lue was very impactful in that, uh, first round series, especially the adjustments he made after two games, and you know th- there's just good depth on that Clippers roster. So, you know this is this is going to be the real test, I think, of of Jazz and and just how good they are going up against a team with players the caliber of Kawhi and Paul George in this one. So, what's the best way to beat those guys, Chris? I mean, you just kind of stick with what you do, right? You don't tailor any kind of new offense or defense to to what you're you're doing. I think it'll be really interesting to see how Donovan Mitchell plays against two guys in Kawhi and PG that are elite defenders. Um, you know, Luka Doncic obviously played well, but he is a special offensive player and you know, just like this is a big overall test for the Jazz, it will be a big overall test for Mitchell, especially in fourth quarter situations where he's going to be counted on many times to get a bucket. And when he's doing it, he's going to be staring down one of the best defenders uh, in the league at that given time. It's not going to be all about that. I mean, you know, Donovan's not a one man band in the same way Luca was, you know, the three point shot's going to be important. Mike Conley's health is going to be important, but um, you know, those situations I think are going to be big. You know, can he get a bucket the same way Luca was able to get a bucket in the game Dallas won? Chris Mannix uh, is with us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. 
Uh, Chris, Paul George, uh, what do you, uh, the last time the Jazz faced Paul George in the playoffs, it was that showdown with Oklahoma City. He and Joe Ingles kind of forged a rivalry, and he had named himself Playoff P before the series. And then it's kind of been hit and miss with him in the playoffs. What do you expect out of him? Yeah, that was not a good nickname to self-style yourself with. No. Um, that, that's, that puts a lot of pressure on you if you don't succeed. In the aftermath of that series, he didn't really. Um, not in Oklahoma City, not in L.A. last year. Um, look, he had a phenomenal regular season. I mean, he, he really answered the bell this year and, and came out and shot the three well, you know, played at an all-star level. Uh, but, you know, it was hit or miss in that first-round series uh, against Dallas. Uh, really good games three and four, but, you know, Kawhi was the story in game six and seven. Um, you know, I think it's going to be important for Paul on both ends. Like, he's going to have to get in the face of, of Joe Ingles or whoever it is He's defending. He's going to have to make shots as Quinn Snyder and, and that team sort of veer the defense towards, um, you know, Kawhi Leonard, especially without a real defensive stopper out there in the perimeter. Royce O'Neal's very good. Obviously, Rudy backstopping it is everything. But you know, you're going to do some things to try to you know, take the ball out of Kawhi's hands. And when it comes out of his hands, you know, Paul's going to be a guy that, that makes shots. And, you know, he, you know, outside of his years in Indiana, he's yet to prove at this point he's uh, reliably able to do it. So I think this is a – you know, for a lot of guys, this is a huge series. For Donovan, for the Jazz, uh, and for, for Paul George. I mean, Kawhi's legacy is fairly secure. You know, he's he's got two championships. He's got two finals MVPs. Uh, for Paul George, though, he's on a team that, you know, should make a deep playoff run. And if they don't and he comes up short, it's, uh, it's going to fall on him a lot. Obviously, with this smaller lineup that the Clippers like to use and the switching defense, I wonder how Rudy will react to that, Chris. And I wonder how Donovan will react to it because he's a guy who can take advantage of those situations if he's able to. Rudy, I don't know. Yeah, it'll, it'll be more of a good question with Rudy, and I'll, I'll be curious to see how often you know the Clippers go with that. Um, they, they transitioned on the fly in this series against Dallas, that smaller lineup, basically benching Zubac and, and going with that small ball, and it worked. It was a big reason why they won that series. Um, maybe you can do that against a team that doesn't have a dynamic big necessarily. Boban's huge, but he's not dynamic, not in the same way that Rudy is. Um, you know, I, I think on both ends of the floor, Rudy's presence is going to be huge. Like if they go small and Rudy's out there, he's got to make them pay. You know, in the paint with second chance points, post up opportunities, everything. You've got to, to to pummel whoever it is that's guarding him on the inside, and and defensively, he's going to have to you know show he can defend a little on the perimeter and show he can get back uh, into the lane and, and be a great help side defender. So, you know, there, it'll be a, it'll be a chess match to see, you know, what uh, what you can do with Rudy out there because no question, I mean, the Jazz are at their best when he's giving you 35 minutes in a game. Um, if you have to. to tweak it and play smaller and take him out of the lineup, you know, regardless of what Donovan can do against that small lineup, it's, it's, it's not going to make you a better overall team if you're playing without Rudy Gobert. Chris, we missed you last week and uh, want to get a chance to ask you about your reporting uh, with Danny Ainge. And uh, you were all over that story as he steps down and Brad Stevens steps into uh, the front office. But you also had a report about uh, Danny's connection possibly with the, the Utah Jazz. Talk to us a little bit about that. Would, uh, would you be surprised if he ended up with a role with this franchise? No, I wouldn't be surprised at all. Um, Danny can say what he wants. Like, you know, I'm not going to go there. But, of course, he's going to say that. There's no job opening in Utah right now, and there's no upside to saying, yeah, I'd love to, to be out there and work uh, for the Jazz. But his relationship with, with new ownership is well-known. 
Um, yeah, and I think there's been a part of Danny that's wanted to return to Utah in some capacity. I believe he, he recently bought a property out there. Maybe one of his sons is living in it. And I think that's that's a strong possibility. I don't know what role he would take. I do believe in the short term, I don't think Danny wants to work all that hard. Like he said that himself, and I, I tend to agree with him. He's been 18 straight years of running a franchise. I can understand not wanting to jump right back into taking on a, a significant role with another one. But, you know, could I see Danny in an advisory role in some capacity with the Jazz at some point in the next six months? Yeah, I, I, I could. I could see that. And there's a lot of people across the league that believe that's that's going to happen. Um, so I think, um, you know, I, I don't expect Danny to come in and just swoop in and take somebody's job if it's not available. But um, I do think that having Danny Ainge involved with the Jazz is is something that uh, that we'll see. And look, that's that's not a bad thing. I think Danny's brilliant i mean he's he's accomplished he's he's done a lot in his 18 years with the celtics and i think he'll he'll be doing that in some capacity um in a new job at some point soon chris i know you were all over it uh but uh, brad stevens being elevated to that new position your thoughts on that uh didn't love it not because i don't think brad stevens can do the job but you know i was of the belief and still am of the belief that the celtics had a shot at sam presti i mean sam presti is arguably the best GM in all of basketball. And he's a guy with deep Boston ties. He grew up in the Boston area. He played college basketball at Emerson, which is a school in downtown Boston. And in, in many ways, I think he looks at the Celtics as being something of a dream job. Um, you know, people point to the contract situation in Oklahoma City. That's not always an issue, especially for a GM that's been in one spot as long as Sam has. I mean, if you're Sam Preston, you've been in Oklahoma City for as long as they've been you know, but there were the Sonics before he, you know, when he eventually got there. Um, I, I think you've got some wiggle room with ownership to to get out, especially for a job as good as Boston's. And they never really approached him. They didn't. They didn't approach him point blank. You know about about that job. They just decided to go in house, elevate Brad Stevens, and now they've got a novice running the front office who is going to make his first coaching hire uh, in his uh, in his history. And I, I just don't know how that that leaves you stronger as a result. It's not. It wasn't surprising that Danny Ainge left. That's been the water supply for months now, that wherever he was going to go, he was not going to be in Boston after this year. But to elevate Brad Stevens without doing any kind of national search, it just shocked me. Like, you know, Brad Stevens had a long-term contract there. Like, he wasn't going anywhere. They weren't going to lose out on Brad Stevens if they uh, decided to go and look around and see what was out there. It just felt a little too knee-jerk for me. And, you know, they're now with the possibility that they may may be going forward without having – a guy who is great at his job. And if that's the case, you better hope that you know, Brad is, is the right guy for that gig. Who do you like between the Bucks and the Nets, Chris? Yeah, I, the James Harden injury changes everything, right? Like, I mean, Harden, you can argue, is the most important player in Brooklyn. I mean, he's his facilitating has enabled the big three to operate the way that – at peak level, basically, you know, because he's been able to kind of – you know, take a step back from being this offensive juggernaut we saw in the Western Conference for so many years and be more of a playmaker. I mean, look, his peak years in Houston, he was averaging 20-plus shots per game. This year in the regular season, it was like 16. In the playoffs, has been like 14. So he's a, you know, he's, he's taken a step back there. And, you know, not having him there, I mean, that, that leaves the door open. Now, you know, Drew Holiday only has to worry about one guy in that backcourt. Now you can focus more defensive attention on Kevin Durant. And, 
you know, not be so worried about the Bruce Browns and, and others. I mean, the, I give the Nets credit. I mean, getting game one after Harden goes out in the first minute was remarkable. I mean, that's, that's a credit to, to Blake Griffin and the role players there that stepped up. But I think you got to be, you got to still favor Milwaukee in this series. I mean, Harden's going to be out for game two. That kind of hamstring injury, like, I'm not expecting him back. If he's back, it's not close to full strength because you, you, you've seen in the past where guys have had a hamstring issue. They push it in the way back, and all of a sudden they, they re-injure it again. Uh, it's happened over and over again. So, you know, this, the door's wide open now, I think, for, for Milwaukee to, get, to win this series, and I think they're good enough to take it. What's gotten into the Hawks? Yeah, there's an argument to be made that the Hawks are they're, they're really good. Like, I mean, the, their struggles early in the season had nothing to do with the talent on the roster, but that talent wasn't healthy. You know, they were missing DeAndre Hunter for chunks of the first month and a half of the season. They were missing uh, Bojan Bogdanovic, Bojan Bogdanovic uh, for chunks of the season. Um, you, you know, they, they just had guys out. And, you know, people point to the coaching change. I think Nate McMillan has been a, a significantly positive influence on that team. But, you know, when he took over, that's when they got everybody back. And they went on kind of a run. So you can certainly make the argument that fully healthy this season, the Nets or the, the Hawks would have been a top three team in the Eastern Conference. You could also argue that, the Sixers might be you know, one of the lesser top seeds in recent Eastern Conference memory. They're really good and deserve to be in that spot. But, you know, Embiid and Simmons, we, we still have questions about their ability to succeed in the postseason. You know, Danny Green defending Trey Young does not work. I, I think that needs to stop going into the next game. Um, you know, Seth Curry, not as experienced in the postseason. I mean, I think they've got some question marks. So, you know, the Hawks claiming home court advantage is big, and I think they've got a real opportunity in this game, too, to – to, to really, you know, put their foot on the neck of uh, of of the, of the Sixers here because that's that's a uh, that's an opening for them. I mean, I think the Sixers team is vulnerable enough that if Atlanta plays well in this game too, they're going to have a real chance to win. Just to round out, asking about the series, who do you like between the uh, the Suns and the Nuggets? Uh, yeah, I, I think Phoenix. You know, look, I, I was more disappointed in Portland than impressed with Denver in that first round series. I mean, the Blazers. It just blew another great series by Damian Lillard. I mean, how many, how many great games does this guy have to have to to get this team success in the playoffs? I mean, there was that game he had thirty plus in the first half. They were down twelve at halftime. It's, it's wild to kind of watch how that all played out. This is kind of the series I think where the absence of Jamal Murray is is really going to hurt. I mean, Phoenix has great strength in their front court. You know, Aiton has been good all series, all, all postseason, all season long, really. You know, Chris Paul, his experience is going to matter going up against the likes of Monty Morris and others. I mean, Devin Booker's been great. I just, I think Phoenix getting that, that first series under their belt, they're going to be a lot more comfortable in this next series. I think this is where the Nuggets get a little bit exposed against a, a more complete team uh, like Phoenix, which has been top 10 in offensive defense for, for most of the season. So, um, you know, this, it's been a great ride for Denver, you know, playing without Jamal Murray. But I think that this series is where the, that ride ends. Chris, I'm a little shy about asking this question. In fact, I'm downright scared to ask it, but I will go ahead and proceed anyway. Your thoughts on Logan Paul, Floyd Mayweather? I mean, people complaining about what they saw, like, shut up. Like, what were you expecting? Like, if you bought that thing expecting to see some kind of competitive fight, you're a moron. Like, it's as simple (laughs) as that. Like, you know, Floyd Mayweather, before the fight, did everything but tell you this was going to be stupid. Like, he called it legalized bank robbery. He said he didn't train for it. He said he could beat Logan Paul with his Z game. At some point, the guy's telling you that. 
maybe believe him. Maybe he understands it can be true. And then if you really wanted to go back and look at Logan Paul's history, he did fight professionally on the zone against KSI, another YouTuber, and lost. So if he's losing to another YouTuber, he's not beating you know, one of the best fighters of this generation. Uh, all that being said, I thought Logan was better than I expected. I mean, he, he achieved what he wanted to achieve. He went the distance with an all-time great, and he did it by using his size. He leaned on him the entire time. He's got 30-plus pounds, 6 inches, 20 years younger, whatever it is, 18 years younger. Like, he just yeah, – he, he did what he had to do to get through that fight. But if there are people, like, asking for their money back, like, go away. Go to bed. Like, the, 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 this is what you were paying for. And if you thought you were paying for something else, think harder. Like, just be better because this is exactly what it was always going to be. As a, as a respected uh, boxing journalist for all these years, Chris, does this kind of exhibition bug you a little bit or not? No, not at all. Like, this is like, this kind of stuff is the new autograph signing. This is a, a name brand athlete capitalizing on his name and trying to tap into another audience that doesn't know him all that well in the younger generation that follow Logan Paul. I mean, if Floyd Mayweather came back professionally and fought some C-level opponent, I might be a little miffed at that. I, I don't see the upside in Floyd coming back to fight somebody not named Manny Pacquiao or Earl Spence or Terrence Crawford, but fought a YouTuber. He did it on pay-per-view. Like, don't buy it. Like, if you don't want to watch it, don't buy it. I, I watched it, you know, because, well, A, it's my job, and B, like, I'm curious to see what Floyd Mayweather has left. And, like, if he looked really, really good, would we see him potentially get back in the ring in a real fight? But it didn't – he wasn't taking a slot away from anybody on Showtime or DAZN or – or Fox, like he was just doing a pay-per-view and you want to buy it, buy it. If you don't, don't No, I, I, This to me, wasn't a big referendum on the state of boxing. It's, it's more, you know, a, a superstar that maybe used to just go to conventions and sign autographs and do club openings. Now finding another revenue stream by getting in the ring with someone that has no hope of beating him. Yeah. Well, Chris, as always, thanks for jumping on with us. Uh, let's hope round two is a lot of fun. You got it guys. Chris Mannix, senior NBA writer for Sports Illustrated, and joins us on Mondays. Um, but real quick on the boxing thing, mm-hmm. I, I'm kind of torn on this because I, I hear what Chris is saying right there. But are these sort of like circus act fights really good for the sport? But then the other side of me says like, if we can let a rock band tour until they're 85 for nostalgia <laughs> purposes, why not a boxer? Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. I I can see purists having a problem with it, but uh, if it's introducing more people to the fight game, then maybe it's not bad for I, boxing. I do think it's funny what Chris said, how Mayweather basically said, like, <laughs> this is, I'm going to do exactly what I ended up doing. This is going to be a farce. Basically, don't buy this. <laughs> he basically said it before. And then they, how many millions did they make? You know what? I'm not sure. We'd have to go back and look. But I mean, there's, I mean, there's, I imagine Floyd uh, isn't really in need of more cash unless you know life's yep. gotten sloppy. But he's the the highest paid athlete in the world. I'm sure he doesn't dislike being the highest paid athlete <laughs> in the world. I'm sure, he's not eager for that to stop. And he doesn't have soon. a problem accepting the check. Would you? I don't know. I I don't know. I don't know if I'd want to. If I were him, I don't know if I'd want to do that, because I've already. He's what was he? Fifty and zero. 
why mess around with this stuff? If he wants to, he wants to. And I that's always been my attitude about guys, older guys who want to keep plying some version of their trade. It's their life. People got mad because Michael Jordan wanted to come back and play for the Wizards. I mean, that's what you want to do? That's what you want to do. It's but, your life. Go do it. I, I remember when... Remember when George Foreman came back? How many times? But that was and, legit. He won the title. I yeah. don't think. See, I think there's a difference between Mark Spitz came back when he was like 50 years old or something. But they're actually competing. This this is just this, an exhibition. This is just a show. It's yeah. not really for the sport. Like, but they said there would be no winner declared, and people still bought the thing. Yeah. I think the comp is the Champions Tour in golf. Where they're not competing to be the best in the world anymore. That's just a nostalgia show where you can still go out it's and an watch age your group competition. And, but you go out and you watch your favorite golfer from yesteryear still get out there and swing it. See, I I I I give that more competitive credibility than this because these, those guys were great golfers and they're probably still great golfers and they're out there playing but they're not and competing against the best one in the world another. anymore. Yeah, but that doesn't matter. If that were true, then college football wouldn't exist. You know, I different mean, different discussion. This is well, still pros. Yeah, I. I, get I mean, it. you don't. I wonder if a, a, a you know <laughs> senior basketball league would work. Well, haven't they tried that? I don't know. Have they? I'm not sure. But I remember. I don't remember this because this was before my time. But Babe Ruth and some of the uh, great baseball players of that era used to go out on these barnstorming tours, you know? See, that's comparable to the— Yeah. See, and can you fault anybody for doing that? Not really, but is it is it furthering the sport? I don't think so. It's just a show. It's just interesting that, that, that guys would want to do that who have bank accounts that are overflowing. I could see it more if they, if they were dire need— but last thing Floyd Mayweather needs is more money. You always say that. There's where is that magical line that it's enough? <laughs> you know what I mean. You know like, it when if, you see it. If if you had a hundred million dollars, Gordon, and somebody came to you and said, "Hey, how would you like a hundred million more?" You're not going to say no. I might, depending upon what it was I had to do. You're not saying no. So I, for I, one I night of work, they said no. we're going to give you a hundred million dollars. For Is that one what he made? hundred million? He made more than that when he fought McGregor. I don't know what he made in this one. He made thirty million just off the three sponsors on his shorts yesterday. <laughs> I'm not true? making that up. Yeah, Woo. you're not saying no. Yeah, and if there's no real, I mean, if no one's declaring a winner and a loser, then you're not like it doesn't really matter. All you're doing is going around, and all he did was didn't he just sort of dance around? Yep, that's what he's done anyway his whole career. Propped him up half the fight. But, I mean, Gordon, listen, you're not in any hurry to put uh, to tattoo a sponsor's uh, logo on your forehead. Uh, but you And you live a, a comfortable, uh, wonderful life. But if somebody came to you and said, hey, I'll give you 50 million bucks to do this, you're saying yes. You don't need <laughs> the money, but you're going, yeah. Man, I, I suppose maybe you're right. I, and then I you're going to walk around proudly rocking uh, like a, a Ford on your forehead. But how much, how much money did Floyd Mayweather earn through his career? Was it half a billion? I, I don't know. He's got Unless he's just squandered his money. I, I don't Keep know. Keep adding there, too. Why not? What's the reason not to? Maybe, yeah, he's 44 years old and he's got nothing else to do, maybe. And maybe he's bored, you know? I think it's one of those things where it's just convenient. Well, if he wants to do it, I have no problem with him doing it. I just 
wonder, my, my question is more aimed at why would you want to do it? And you're saying it's about the money. You heard Austin say he made $30 million <laughs> just for three sponsors on his shorts, right? Yeah, but what's $30 million to somebody that's got a billion? $30 million. Dollars. It's yeah, thirty million. Taxes, you know? It covers the taxes. It's thirty million dollars. <laughs> it's the same. It's another thirty million dollars. Is he going to do it again? Yes, he made thirty million just off the shorts. Hmm. Didn't lose. It's like Gordon would tell Warren. Still Buffett, gets to say he's the greatest ever. Hey Warren, why are, why are you requiring that company? You know, you've already got plenty. <laughs> what, what's the deal? And you're like 105 years old. Why, why are you still going after it? I suppose you have a pretty strong argument there. Jeff Bezos already owns half the planet. It doesn't look like he's stopping now. Well, he did buy that $500 million yacht. Uh, let's see. He May wants weather, another one. May the weather was guaranteed $10 million and half of the pay-per-view buys. Paul was guaranteed 250000 and 10% of the pay-per-view buys. So let me get this straight. 50% of the pay-per-view? That's, that's, a, a, lot that's a lot of money. Lo- be Logan, a lot. I think they're $50 a pop, right? Logan Paul has, did I read he has 66 million followers? Oh, I don't is know. That, is that even possible? Yeah, it's possible. I mean, Kim maybe, Kardashian maybe. has a billion. And, and that's the reason this fight happened, because you you cash in that attention and that following against Floyd Mayweather, and you're, you've got the recipe for a, a windfall. Maybe Floyd just let him, let him sort of exist, and then they can have a rematch. I'll make another $20 million. Oh, it's going to happen. 30 or 40 whatever. Well, his brother's also doing the boxing thing, so maybe his brother gets revenge on Floyd Mayweather. <laughs> It's 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 wrestling at this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's what it seems like. Yeah. Coming up next, Coach Gordy Chiesa. Stay tuned. We'll get his thoughts on the Jazz and the Clips. Want to remind you about our friends at Davis Vision. Uh, the Davis Vision Summer LASIK Sale is going on now. Get rid of those contacts and glasses. Save $1,000. Start your road to better vision at Davis Vision. Check them out. DavisVisionMD.com or call today, 801-253-3080. That's Davis Vision. Coach Chiesa is next, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. What time is it? It's half past the hour and time to talk Utah Jazz. Oh, this is your Jazz at 30 update. Ring the 30-point bell. Jazz going into round number two. We know who they are going to play and when they're going up against Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, and the L.A. Clippers. Game one is tomorrow night. Here's Donovan Mitchell saying the regular season doesn't matter anymore. Understanding that, yeah, we're the best team in the NBA, and there's a swagger that comes behind that too, but understanding that we just felt the loss before, and we don't want to go back to that feeling. Just because we won the series, it's not like the end all. So for us, it's, yeah, we're the number one team in the in the regular season, but at the end of the day, it's like a high school kid, number one ranked kid going to college. It doesn't mean nothing. You know what I mean? Like at the end of the day, like you, those rankings, everything starts over at zero, zero. Uh, they won a series. We won a series. All right, we won in five, they won in seven. So at the end of the day, it's zero, zero. Um, none of that stuff before matters. We got to go there and lace them up and, and get ready to go. The Clippers have released their injury report a few moments ago. Serge Ibaka listed as doubtful with back spasms. Coach Gordon Chiesa is going to join the show coming up next. Uh, we'll get the thoughts from former Jazz assistant. Game two tomorrow here at Vivint Arena will begin at 8 o'clock. Pre-game coverage begins at 7. This update brought to you by our friends at Syringa Networks.
This is The Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott. Presented by Big O' Tires. Stop by your locally owned Big O' Tires. The team you trust. This is 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Network. Five and twelve into the zone. Let's get out of the zone. Phone time to talk some jazz basketball with longtime jazz assistant coach and our good friend Gordon Chiesa with us here on the Big Show. What's up, Coach? Jake and Gordon, I am doing well. Thank you. That is great. Happy to have you on. Happy to be talking about a second round matchup with the Clippers. What do you think? It's going to be an amazing series because there's so many storylines, Jake and Gordon, about the toughness of each team. For example, the Jazz last year losing the first round up 3-1, the resiliency coming back and knocking out the Grizzlies 4-1, and then the Clippers, who have been a nightmare over the years as far as losing some games, including also being up 3-1, they suddenly knock out yesterday in a hard-fought battle to knock out the Mavericks. So with that, they have momentum, the Clippers, but the Jazz have resiliency. And so that's going to be the storyline as far as the mental part of it. But Jake and Gordon, just quickly, here's five things about the keys to the series. One, the Jazz must score over perimeter length. Usually, uh, Gordon and Jake, it's interior length. This is the opposite. So, so Donovan, and if Mike Conley does play during it, Joe Ingles, Boyan Bondanovich, Royce O'Neal, Jordan Clarkson, all the gang, they've got to shoot over length. Of Paul George, Nichols Batum, Kawhi Leonard, Terrence Mann, Marcus Morris, and Patrick Patterson. Two, usually speaking, Jake and Gordon, the physical team wins a series, but you just can't be crazy and foul all the time. So what team has better technique as far as the majority of the time to be aggressive and physical without crazy fouling? Three, the Jazz are an elite three-point shooting team. By the way, so are the Clippers. So the Clippers are first in the NBA regular season shooting accuracy three-point shots. The Jazz were four. The Jazz right now are second in the playoffs shooting three-pointers, three and they've outshot the Clippers. So who wins the three-point game? It's very interesting. Four, bench scoring. So when the Clippers knocked out the Mavericks, the Clippers hustle players, Terrence Mann, uh, they came through. Patrick Patterson, they, they, they really played, a, they played well for their group. Also, Luke Kennard. And so can George Niang, I know he's going to be a guest later on at 5 o'clock and 12 of the zone. Can George Niang, can Jordan Clarkson, can Derek Favors, uh, can Joe Ingles be off the bench or not? Can they outplay those guys dramatically? And the last point is this is that what team is going to win the boards? So even though it's a primitive-type game, that there will be a lot more three-point shots taken. So who wins the foot race, Jake and Gordon? Not elevation rebounds, but, but uh, speed rebounds off the floor to ignite their fast break. So those are the five keys. If the Jazz win the series, that there will be a majority of those five topics we just talked about, they'll win most of them. So, Gordy, if you were planning a scheme to go up against the Jazz's offense, 
and you had the Clippers personnel, what would you choose? Well, most times the question is going to be, Gordon, is do they switch one through five? In other words, the way the team is constructed, minus Reggie Jackson, who is the X factor for them as far as he's playing well, they're really a length team. And so Nichols' platoon, when Rudy rolls to the basket on that high pick and roll, and he, and he makes that rim run, platoon has enough athleticism to play Rudy um, low, up low on his body, but reach up in the air. Well, Zubats, the other, the, the big uh, player for, uh, for the uh, Clippers, doesn't have the elevation to do that. So, if schematically, the question will be, do the Clippers, do they, do they switch all the time and play their switch defense? And then from the Jazz point of view, can they drive the switch into usually a mid-range game? So a lot of times, when like Donovan drives to the basket, so he's going to pull up and he's going to try to pull up because of the, the length of them is going to try to protect the rim as perimeter shot blockers. What do you think of Kawhi Leonard, uh, Coach? Where is he? Is he a top three player in the league, top five, top ten? What do you think? No, he's top five. He's, a, he's one of the best two-way players, absolutely. And you can debate that who's one, two, three, four, five. It's all, it all based on you know, uh, you know, how you view Luka Doncic and Giannis and those guys. And LeBron, LeBron, no, LeBron's hurt. LeBron uh, was knocked out. But let's not forget it. He's brilliant. So Nicholas Jokic or Joel Embiid. So the, he's right up there. You know, th- uh, one through five in any order you want to debate it as far as that. But what he, what he is, though, is that he's a big-time performer. Let's not forget, you know, back in Game 7, he was great yesterday, but also Game 7 back in Mother's Day in 2019, he made that spectacular shot to knock out the uh, 76ers in, the, in, in Game 7. So he's a big-time performer. So the Jazz, so, so uh, Boyan Bondanovich, again, Royce O'Neal, They've got to attempt to slow him down by making him into a volume shooter versus what? A rhythm mid-range shooter. I know, Gordy, you said the Jazz bench has to show up. Is there a particular player that you think will play a key role in that regard? Who, who needs to play well? Jordan Clarkson, it's so amazing, Gordon, is that he's the sixth man of the year. Hey, we love him. He's good. That guy's good. And But here's what happened, though. Let's not forget, see, Donovan's brilliance and Rudy's brilliance against the uh, Grizzlies, but here's some just quick mathematics with uh, Jordan Clarkson. He only shot 40.8 field goal percentage in the last round. That's the good part. He shot 23.8 from threes. So the question right now is he's got to really get uh, against Lent defenders. He's got to get separation without rushing his shots. So here's the reality as far as the visualization. Uh, Nick, Nick, Nicholas Platoon's guarding him, and he's in the stance, and he's got length. Can Jordan Claus have enough um, separation dribble to take a, take a three-point shot or middle game to uh, shoot over length. Let's not forget that. Add to this, though. Against the Grizzlies, he's able to drive to the basket, and he shot 21 for 21 from the foul line. So his lack of percentage shooting wasn't as glaring because he counted punched that with the foul shooting. But against the, against the Clippers' length, that's a huge factor. Coach, if you look at Donovan Mitchell's numbers throughout his career in the playoffs, they've gone up from the regular season. And we, of course, remember some special performances, not only last year, but in years prior. What does that say about a player whose uh, production goes up in the playoffs? He's maturing. He has the it factor. The bigger the stage, the better he plays. And he's absolutely a franchise difference maker. And he's ready for the moment. 
and that as each passing year, he he understands more about time and score of a game and when to be in attack mode and when to um, when to facilitate some of the time. But in the fourth quarter, the way the Jazz is structured, Donovan has taken over most playoff games he plays in and is able to perform. Here's some quick numbers in the first series. He's uh, averaging 28.5 points per game. So, uh, Gordon, you remember Carl Malone, that guy that we all we all love. He, for his career, Carl averaged 26.2 in the in the uh, in the playoffs. Donovan Mitchell is averaging 28.5. And so, when you, mag- you use the magnitude of how good Donovan is in a playoff, it's spectacular. So, Jake, he is ready for the moment, and this is this is another test in his career. Let's not forget, he's only this only his fourth year in the NBA, and he turns 25 on September 6th. Gordy, what expectation do you have for Rudy Gobert in this series at both ends of the floor? He's going to dominate. Yeah, absolutely, he's going to dominate. Rudy's playing well. I mean, he's averaging 17.4 points per game and 13 rebounds and 3.2 blocks. Now, it might get iffy now, and I hope I'm wrong, if end of a game Rudy rolls to the basket gourd and they foul him, whether either intentionally or they're late in coverage to get there. So Rudy right now is 56.7 in the first round in the playoffs, and historically speaking, that he struggled in the last five minutes of a playoff game. Now the question is, hey, I'm mature now. I'm ready for the moment more. The, the bigger the moment, the bigger the, uh, the sequence, I'm going to make minimum one foul shot. It's detrimental when you get when you uh, drive the, when he, someone drives the ball to the basket and they hit Rudy on that law pass and the team fouls him, the, the rivals foul him. You've got to make minimum, if not one for two, you've got to make, if not 0 for two. Because at the end of the game, it's against the Clippers type team. You want no empty possessions. Coach, I understand you have a playoff-themed list for us. Jake, we do. And right on point about this, this is the Utah Jazz all-time franchise leaders in Korea playoff points. And I, 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 I cut down at 12. So this is a dozen of the all-time greatest Jazz franchise point scores. Number 12, and Gordon, right on point, Rudy Gobert. I never knew this. I know nothing. That Rudy Gobert is 12th all-time in playoff points with 510. Number 11, Dr. Duncanstein, Dal Griffith, 557. Number 10, this guy was an unbelievable catch-and-shoot player, Jeff Malone, with 584 career playoff points. Number 9, Adrian Dantley, which that was a really basically pre uh, three point shot. He was a terrific post up player. He scored 607 career playoff points. Number eight, Donovan Mitchell already is eighth all time, only in his fourth season. He has scored 743 playoff points. I mentioned earlier to, to keep talking about it. He's averaging 27.5 points per game in as far as the playoffs. Number seven, Vastly underrated. We forget about him, how good he was in playoffs. Carlos Boozer. He scored 892 playoff points. Number six, our colleague and friend, always, Thurl Bailey, scored 929. Number five, again, we forget about him, how good he was in playoff situations. Darren Williams has scored 930 playoff points. And number four, vastly underrated also, Brian Russell scored 1,035 uh, career points. Now the big three. Number three, Jeff Hornacek, 1,389. Number two, John Stockton, 2,436. And Jake and Gordon, I wish he would have shot more because when he shot, he made all of them. And number one all-time, 
We, and, and now one all time, wherever we tried to stop him, Carl Malone scored 4,519 playoff points for the Utah Jazz. Thus, that's my dozen players of the Utah Jazz all-time scorers, and let's hope that, uh, that Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell keep climbing those charts. Very nice, Coach. Thank you, as always, and let's hope for a, a fun series. It should be a fun series. Thanks, guys. Stay well. Peace out. Thanks, Coach. Our friend, Coach Gordon Chiesa. Coming up next, Quick Not Sports Board, George Niang at 5. Stay tuned. This is The Big Show, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Check this out. And now, your Not Sports Report on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Sometimes I feel a little mad. But don't you know that no one alive can Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. It is that time. We need caller 12 right now, 855-340-ZONE. It's time for the Chevy Strong Play of the Game. If you know what the Chevy Strong Play of the Game is, announced by DJ and PK this morning at 8.50, and you're the 12th caller, you'll win his own prize pack. It's the Chevy Strong Play of the Game, brought to you by your Rocky Mountain Chevy dealers, only here on the Zone Sports Network. Uh, we're going to get to the Not Sports Report, brought to you by the LHM Used Car Supermarket. Over 1,000 used vehicles in inventory. Shop online, lhmusedcars.com. Quick update, though. We mentioned the Clippers injury report was out, and Serge Braca was listed as doubtful. Well, I think it's a little bit more than doubtful, considering reports coming out now that Serge did not even make the trip to Salt Lake City. So he's not even here. Yep, so he won't play. I, I think that's... Uh, Less than doubtful. Okay. okay. Where are we going today, Gordon? I got a couple things real quick. By the way, do you see Link from the Mod Squad died? No. Uh, you probably don't remember that show. You know, so it was before you were born. So, anyway, um, I saw a study, a, a, a poll, I guess, was taken, and they found that 26% of Americans wish they had more alone time. I, for some reason, I thought that was surprising. Uh, I Do you wish you had more alone time? Yes. Well, I mean, when you got young <laughs> children. <laughs> yes. As a matter of fact, yes, I do. You are one of the 26%. Yeah, absolutely. I'm surprised it's not higher. <laughs> okay. Why do you think so many people out there uh, take so long in the bathroom? Well, that's a pretty strong point, too. Just yeah. need a few minutes, yeah. you know? <laughs> that's the only place you can get it. Get any peace. Does, does Naz come banging on the door? No, no. But uh, I'll tell you what, since my toddler learned to open up doors. Actually, she's not really a toddler anymore. Three and a half. I mean, she's yeah, moving around the pretty door, good. Jake. Uh, but, but, yeah. Oh, should you really have to lock the bathroom door in your own home? <laughs> Maybe so. Oh, man. Okay, here's the other thing real quick. I don't understand people who try and run from authorities on a, in a vehicle. To outrun them, you know, in like a high-speed chase. Why do I bring this up? Well, a motorcyclist down in the L.A. area was taken into custody on Monday after leading authorities on this high-speed chase uh, that ended up in an area I'm very familiar with. It was a parking structure in Pasadena that I used to drive by all the time. But I lived in uh, California. You lived in California? a mother. I didn't know that. So this guy, he he get, jumps on his motorcycle and he's 
I guess he was a suspect wanted for speeding and driving without a license plate or something. But he tried to outrun the cops. I, I don't think that's possible anymore, is it? Does anybody outrun the cops anymore? He, This guy even stopped to get gas at a gas station. It must have been early on in the pursuit. I guess. But uh, he, he was going 130 miles an hour. Um, and down through, you know, surface streets and stuff and back on the freeway. I don't know. You can't outrun the radio. I don't know how right? to. Uh, that That's the key right there. I, I actually have. It's funny you say that because I have a friend who actually tried. <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't know what he was being pulled over for. I actually can't. I have no recollection. To, remember, this kind of a loose acquaintance. And I don't think it was all that serious. It was one of those things like, why did you run? But anyway, he did it, and that's uh, exactly what he said. He said, you know what? You can't outrun a radio. You can't outrun a radio. I know, I know Austin, didn't you get away on a motorbike once, on a mini bike or something? Was that somebody else? That wasn't me. It wasn't you? Okay. Anyway, just just stop and think, because it's just going to get worse. Don't try to outrun. I got away over a fence, but anyway, long oh, story. Okay. George Niang joins the show next. Stay tuned, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. For the Utah Jazz. Get out of the way. Round one is done. Got it! As Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert, and Mike Conley sent the Grizzlies pack. Donovan! Now it's on to round two as the Jazz make a push to an NBA title. I live for the hunt. I live for it. Won't stop till I get what I want. I don't care what it takes. Yo, Ingle! Jordan Clarkson! Hear every second of every moment of Utah Jazz playoff basketball. It's all about survival. Right here on your exclusive home of the Jazz. 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. The Zone Sports Network. Flex, Rudy, flex!